Welcome to the Employment Law and HR Podcast with your host, Allison Colley. Hello and welcome to this episode 194 of the Employment Law and HR Podcast. I'm your host, Alison Colley. I'm an employment solicitor and I run the firm Real Employment Law Advice, where together with my colleagues, we provide advice and assistance to both employers and employees on all aspects of employment law. Our flagship service for employers is our HR Harbour membership, where for a fixed monthly fee at various levels of service, businesses can have access to unlimited HR and employment law support throughout the year. If you'd like more information about this and how our service differs to some of the national suppliers, then do get in touch. I'd be happy to have a chat with you. You can contact me by email. My email is alison at realemploymentlawadvice.co.uk or by telephone on 01983 I'd be happy to have a chat with you about it and to provide you with a no obligation quote. In this week's episode, it is number four in the mini-series covering all things to do with employment tribunal claims and cases. So you have a full understanding of what you need to do in an employment tribunal situation. And this is applicable for both employers and employees. So without further ado, I'm going to get into this week's featured content. So as I was saying, this is episode four in this mini-series covering all things Employment Tribunal. And for those of you who have listened to the previous episodes, we have so far covered up to the point of where you have a preliminary hearing by telephone, which determines the case management of the case going forward. Now, what I want to talk about today is something that comes up and we're asked questions about quite a lot particularly by those businesses and individuals who are representing themselves. And that is in relation to disclosure. So disclosure is a part of the process of bringing or defending a claim, which is normally ordered by the employment tribunal as part of the case management. Or if it's not, then you are required to do it as part of the process for preparing for a hearing. Now, disclosure is where you share with the other party all of the evidence that you hold or that you have in your possession or under your control, which is relevant to the case. Now, often people think that they only need to disclose the evidence which supports their case. But actually, your obligation by law is to disclose all documents, whether they support your case or undermine it or not. So you may very well have a document or a piece of evidence within your control which supports the other party's case, either their defence or the claim that they're bringing. And you have a legal obligation to disclose that. The way in which you carry out disclosure is to prepare a list of the documents that you hold. So what you're required to do is to go through any possible place that you might hold, either a document, uh, a text message, um, a social media post, a recording, an audio recording, a video recording, anywhere that you might have evidence that's relevant to the case. And you've got to search through those and produce those in a list format. Now, normally, in most cases, typically what we're talking about these days are things like emails, letters, documents like contracts or procedures, minutes of meetings, 
Sometimes audio recordings of events or meetings have taken place. Sometimes there might be video recordings. And more often than not these days, there are text message exchanges or WhatsApp exchanges and sometimes social media posts. So those are the types of evidence that would normally occur in an employment tribunal case. And you have to search through everything you have and then list those out. Now, when you're preparing your list, there is a good way of doing it to make things easier for yourself. And that is to include it in a table format with each document having a number, then a description of the document and then the date. And my recommendation is that you put it into chronological order, starting with the oldest document. Now, often it can be easier as well to separate those out. And if you have a case which runs over several years, then I often find it helpful to split each part of the list into years so that you're not getting confused about when, which January, for example, an email was sent. So you've got the heading with the year and that's separated out. Now, it can be quite tricky depending on what you're doing here and you might not have done this before. So if you would like a template in a word format that you can use for putting together your list of documents, then you can go over to our website, realemploymentloradvice.co.uk forward slash DIY documents. And on there, you will find a template for the list of documents for disclosure, which you can download for free and use yourself. So once you've got your list together, you then have to exchange that. So that is send it to the other side. And normally, as I say, this is something that's ordered by the employment tribunal. So you will have a date to do this by. Now, depending on the nature of your case, whether you're defending or bringing the claim, you may not want to wait until the date that the employment tribunal have said you have to exchange. You might have evidence which completely undermines the other person's case and you want to get that across to them as soon as possible so that they can really assess that evidence and then decide if they're going to proceed with the case or defence or not. So tactically, you might want to provide the evidence sooner than waiting until the date that you're required to exchange it. But in most cases, what happens is everybody gets theirs together and then you exchange on the same day. So you send the other person or the party your list and then when you receive the other party's list, then you go through that list and you look at what documents you don't already hold yourself and then you can ask the other side for those documents. It can become quite tricky when you've got a very document heavy or evidence heavy case because you might have lots of things on there. And often I've seen, and sometimes um, solicitors do this as well, to make things a bit more difficult. They will ask for everything on the list without even going through it and checking off what they already have. So you can either, if you have everything together, send everything in electronic format, or if you feel that actually they're being difficult and asking for everything and it's quite clear that they already have those, you can go back and say, can you tell me what you want specifically from my list? so that I can send you that and save time. But generally what happens is you get the list, you look through it, you see what you don't already hold, and then you ask the other side for it. Sometimes, depending on how documents are described or the dates on them, it might not be clear if you already hold it, in which case you can ask for a copy and just say, I'm not clear if this is the same document I have or a different one, so can you send me a copy? Nowadays, everything is done electronically and it's much easier than when we used to have to send paper copies or fax things over, which we used to do in my early days as a trainee solicitor. So you swap documents. So basically, you get to see everything they hold, they get to see everything you hold. 
Now, when it comes to providing the, the evidence or the documents, one question I'm, I'm often asked is about redacting documents. So you may very well have something, let's just say, I've seen in the past minutes of a meeting, you know, a board meeting that's taken place. And there are, you know, several pages of the document. And within that document, for example, the employee who's bringing the claim is referred to a couple of times. But the rest of it is either relating to the business or relating to other employees. So it's not relevant to the proceedings and maybe either confidential to the individual employees that aren't involved in the case or might be commercially sensitive. So the business doesn't want to have that out there in public. So in that kind of situation, you can redact them. So that is to cross it out, basically, to hatch it out or blacken it out so that you can't see that information. But the relevant information is still being disclosed. What I would say is if you are sending the other party a document that is redacted, so has parts of it crossed out, it's a good move to say exactly why it's been redacted. So you can say, for example, these are board minutes during which a number of other employees were discussed and commercially sensitive information, which we have redacted as it's not relevant to the case. So you can only redact information if it is both irrelevant and confidential or commercially sensitive. If it's confidential and commercially sensitive, but it's relevant to the issues in the case, then you still have to disclose it. You still have to provide that. You can't cross that out. You still have to do that um, because it's relevant to the case. And it goes back to your obligation of disclosure I was talking about earlier. There are some documents that you can withhold, which may be relevant to the proceedings. And these are in relation to what is known as legal professional privilege or legal advice privilege. So basically, if you have had advice from a legal professional in relation to this employee, then you don't have to disclose that. Or if you've been in discussions with a solicitor, for example, and a third party in relation to potential for a claim being made, again, you don't have to disclose those by law and you can withhold those documents. It's another reason why getting advice from a solicitor is really important because we do have the benefit of legal professional privilege. So it's much less likely that an employment tribunal will order you to disclose a document between yourself and a solicitor than it would be if it was between you and a HR professional or someone in your HR department. So you don't have to provide those if you have legal professional privilege. Another question that's often asked about the disclosure process is what happens if there are obviously documents missing from the other party's list? So you know that those documents exist or a class of documents exists. Let's just say an email exchange or some emails between certain people within the organisation. You know they exist, they're relevant to the proceedings and they haven't been provided on the other party's list. Well, the first thing you should do is to write to them and ask them to provide those documents. It's important to be as specific as possible in relation to what it is you are asking for and what you expected to be on the list. It shouldn't be an opportunity to go onto a fishing expedition, if you like, and that is where you're just fishing for a possibility of documents existing. So ask them in open correspondence for a particular document or piece of evidence and explain what it is, why you think it's relevant and why you think it exists. 
if the other party then still refuses to provide it or says it doesn't exist or they don't have it, but you're sure that it is relevant and it's important to the case and in that situation, you would then apply to the Employment Tribunal for an order for specific disclosure. Now, if you make an order for specific disclosure against another party in the proceedings, then the Employment Tribunal can consider that and then they may order that that is provided. Again, when you make that application, you need to be really specific about what you're asking for or which class of documents you're asking them to search. So it may be that you have seen on the employer system, for example, a document which is minutes of a meeting that you know is relevant to your case, but it hasn't been provided. You can ask the Employment Tribunal to require the employer to search their system to look for that particular document. You can also make an application for an order for disclosure against a third party. So that is somebody who's not a party to the proceedings, if you know they have a relevant document and you haven't been able to obtain it. But the Employment Tribunal's remit in terms of making an order against a third party is much less available than it would be to somebody who is party to the proceedings, as you can imagine. The best thing, in my view, is to always try to obtain those documents via discussion with the third party or the other person in the case before you make the application to the Employment Tribunal. And again, you need to be careful that you're not actually just going on a fishing expedition looking for evidence that may or may not exist. You need to be quite sure about why it is relevant and what it is you want. So then that brings me on to the next thing, which is how far do you have to search? What is a reasonable search to undertake to look for evidence that might be relevant to the case and which may be relevant to your case or to undermine your case? Well, it's again this question that comes up often in employment tribunals about reasonableness. So what is reasonable in the circumstances? So it depends on the nature of the case the number of documents, the complexity and the ease of retrieval of that information. So for example, let's just take a case of discrimination where an employee is alleging discrimination has taken place over a number of years. You know, let's just say they're alleging it's been five years and their old manager was guilty of treating them unfairly or to their detriment and then that's continued with new managers. So to what extent must the employer then go through the archived email system of the previous manager? Well, again, it does depend on the specifics of the allegations that are being made and actually whether you can retrieve that information from your systems. It's a good idea to try and to look for it because at least then you can demonstrate to the employment tribunal if an application is made for specific disclosure, that you have actually looked or tried to obtain those archived emails or documents. But because that was such a long time ago, the individuals left, they're no longer available. So again, it's reasonable to do a search that's relevant to the complexity of the case that you are either defending or bringing. Another issue that often comes up is in relation to whether you can use covert recordings, either audio recordings or video recordings, as evidence. Now, generally, for both employers and employees, if it is relevant to the proceedings and the parties involved in those proceedings were on the recording, then generally the employment tribunals will allow those covert recordings to be included. For employers, 
It's important to note that if you're using covert recordings, that whilst generally you may be able to rely on those in the defence of a claim, you have, of course, breached or potentially breached data protection legislation and the individual may be entitled to compensation in relation to that breach. So I would always advise against using covert recording at any stage in an employment relationship unless you've taken advice on it and you're very clear on the reasons for it. Covert recordings by employers should only be really used in very serious situations where there is no other means of obtaining that evidence. Now for employees, there of course have been a number of cases on this point and generally the Employment Tribunal have allowed those covert recordings to be included. This is particularly the case in relation to meetings between the employer and employee or disciplinary meetings or grievance hearings. Where the Employment Tribunal seem to draw the line, however, is where covert recordings are made when the employee is not in the room. So there have been several situations where an employee has been recording a disciplinary hearing and then they've left the room but left the device in the room recording. So they have recorded the kind of private deliberations between the panel, if you like, and then returned to the room. And they've tried to rely on those private deliberations in their claim. Now, the Employment Tribunal are less likely to allow an employee to include those because it's a private discussion that's taken place without the employee in the room and the employee wasn't party to that discussion. Where there may be the possibility of an employee using that is where there has been an allegation of discrimination and those private discussions produce the only evidence to support the discrimination claim. If the discrimination claim can be evidenced by something else, then they are less likely to allow those private discussions to be included. So there was a case where an individual had alleged discrimination and was trying to bring the evidence of that private discussion, which they weren't party to, to evidence the discrimination. And the Employment Tribunal said, no, you can't use that because there is other evidence that supports your claim for discrimination. And the reason for the difference in relation to discrimination is because the employment tribunals recognise and understand that it can be very difficult to obtain evidence that directly links an employer's behaviour to a discriminatory element. And so if that's the only evidence the employee has, then it would be considered to be important and relevant to the proceedings and would trump the sort of public policy reason for not allowing generally private discussions to be included. And it sort of makes sense, doesn't it, that if the employee is in the room when the recording's being made, they're hearing everything that's being said. So there's nothing really new coming out of that. But of course, if the employee's not in the room, then they're obtaining information that they wouldn't have had but for the covert recording. Now, if you do have recordings, so audio recordings or video recordings that you want to use, and I mentioned this in the last podcast in answer to a question that was raised on my YouTube channel, and that was um, in relation to how do you deal with introducing those recordings as evidence. The best way of doing it when you're doing the disclosure of documents is to have that video or audio transcribed and provide the other party with a transcription as well as the recording, and then try to agree that the transcription is what's used in the bundle for evidence for the employment tribunal. 
Now, of course, with a video recording, it's a bit different because a video obviously conveys pictures and it may be that that needs to be included because, you know, there's something on there that's not said and which is evidence that the employment tribunal will need to see. But certainly with audio recordings, unless the tone or manner in which the words are said cannot be conveyed on paper, it's better to have the transcription than have the audio recording for the tribunal to listen to. Again, where everything is dealt with these days electronically, it makes it a lot easier for the employment tribunal to read the transcript rather than having to download an audio file and listen to the audio. So while we're talking about covert recordings, there is also another issue that arises, and that is in relation to the objection of one party to including those evidence in the bundle. So once you've exchanged the list of documents, you have to collate that into one bundle of evidence for the employment tribunal. And what can often happen in that process is one party will object to including a particular piece of evidence. Some, let's just say a covert audio recording of a meeting. The employer might say, there's no way you're allowed to include that. We don't agree. If that happens, you should try to agree between you, of course. But if for any reason an agreement can't be reached, then it may be that you have to have one agreed bundle and then a separate bundle to be decided by the employment tribunal. And that's where they will then make a determination in relation to something like a covert recording of a private meeting. Often the employment tribunal these days will set a page limit on the number of documents that can be included in the tribunal bundle for the final hearing. Now this will help both parties to think carefully about what needs to be included so as not to include irrelevant things. The way in which you approach the preparation of the bundle is to think to yourself, is this going to be referred to in the submissions that you're making to the tribunal? Is a witness going to refer to this document in their evidence? Or are you going to cross-examine the other party or another witness on this document? And if the answer to that question is no to all three, then really the document shouldn't be included in the bundle. It can be really hard to narrow things down but actually you will save yourself a lot of time and the tribunal's time and in turn they'll be happier with you if you can think about the relevance of each document you're including. And just because you think one page of a large document is relevant doesn't mean you have to include the whole document. I've often seen people include the whole handbook, for example, when really they only need to refer to a couple of pages within the evidence. If that's the case, then you can have it as an extract from the handbook. Or if you have a long transcript of a meeting, but actually it's only a couple of points in that meeting that are relevant, again, Unless you need to provide the full context of the meeting, you can just say this is an extract from that meeting. Because the employment tribunal will have limited time to read the documents and to take them all in. And of course, you want to make sure that you're referring to really the key evidence within either your claim or your defence. So critically, you need to, wherever possible, stick to the relevant evidence that's relevant to the issues that are going to be decided by the employment tribunal and avoid adding unnecessary paperwork for the sake of it. And if you can't agree with the other side what's included, then you can either make an application to the employment tribunal in advance of the hearing 
or you can produce a separate bundle of documents which are in dispute, which will again be decided at the beginning of the hearing. So to summarise, the process of disclosure involves you looking for any evidence which either supports or undermines your case, putting it together in a list which you then send to the other party to review, obtaining copies of any documents that you don't already have from the other side, reviewing all of the evidence and documents and then deciding on what is relevant for the final hearing and putting it into one bundle for the employment tribunal who will have that to review and to refer to during the final hearing. If you have any problems in relation to disclosure or the disclosure process, preparing your list of documents or preparing the final bundle for the hearing, then my colleagues and I would be very happy to help you with this. Often we can agree a fixed fee for the work that's required and we of course do this on a regular basis so we're able to guide you through what is relevant, what isn't relevant and what you should be asking the other side for. If you'd like any help or assistance with that, do get in touch. My email is alison at realemploymentoradvice.co.uk. And as I said earlier, if you are doing this yourself and you want a template for the list of documents when you're doing disclosure, then you can find one to download for free on our website, realemploymentoradvice.co.uk forward slash DIY hyphen documents. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. I hope that you have a fantastic two weeks ahead and look forward to bringing you the next in this mini series on the Employment Tribunal in two weeks time. Thanks again for listening. Just want to finalise by saying I wouldn't be a lawyer unless I had a legal disclaimer. So I must just say to you that the information in this podcast is for information only. It's general review and a general update. It's always necessary to get specific legal advice about your circumstances. So please don't rely on anything that you've heard in this podcast. But please do feel free to contact me if you'd like further information or specific advice.